way too much work for way too little money. And so I decided to go ahead and take the next leap. And... Vashon Island is a beautiful place if you can get there. It's really not that bad of a ride. Really, you just kind of go to West Seattle, take a ferry. But even getting to West Seattle can kind of be a pain. You sort of got to find a right bike route, even though Google Maps doesn't know where they are because they're all under construction. And once you get there, you take a bridge and you hope the bridge isn't up because it's a drawbridge. Then you go up this big hill and then you come right back down the other side. And with any luck, you get to the ferry and instead of having to take it, the head brewer from Vashon Island Brewery is there already and you get to just hang out with him there, right near the ferry terminal. That's what happened to me. His name is Cliff. What kind of pitfalls have you hit? Just things you've discovered. You just stopped open, so like basically, I, when I was there, I ordered a coffee, and you know there were no coffee filters in the place. Right. <laughs> That's a relatively small hiccup. What kind of stuff have you found that just walloped you? If you've just started home brewing, or you've been brewing for a while, and are maybe considering opening your own brewery, then this is probably a pretty good podcast to listen to. Cliff has some insights. Even though he's been brewing for about six years, he actually just opened his new tap room. So a lot of the stuff that we talk about today would be super applicable to you if you're trying to open a brewery yourself. Before we get started, I'd like to thank supporters of the podcast, craftbeerclub.com. If you know someone who loves craft beer, and I suspect you do, then give the gift of beer with the Craft Beer of the Month. Craft Beer Club finds award-winning beer from around the country and ships it straight to your door, 12 beers at a time. Support the podcast and drink beer by going to cyclingcicerone.com slash beer club to take a look. That's cyclingcicerone.com slash beer club. I'm your host, The Cycling Cicerone, and this is Washington Beer Talk. I started Vashon Brewing Company six years ago and have been working away at trying to make a wholesale business and decided way too much work for way too little money. And so I decided to go ahead and take the next leap, open up my own retail location, Vashon Brewing Community Pub. Yeah, okay, when I was there on Vashon Island just a couple weeks ago, mm -hmm. I caught like your second soft open or your, you know, a soft open of some kind. Right. Um, and I had assumed you had just been homebrewing for six years and then started this thing. So that's no. the first I'm hearing of your actual Vashon Brewing was a wholesale business. So you did production yes. brewing and you distributed yes. around distributed around Vashon and apparently made it over here to West Seattle. Where else have you been? Uh, a little bit in Tacoma and other parts in Seattle. But of course, you know that um, you know, most retail spots, bars and restaurants, they like to have their rotating taps. And it's great for them to be able to call a distributor and get all their taps filled with one phone call and write one check. It's really easy. And so getting into places with my beer uh, was, was challenging. You know, it was, a lot, it was a lot of work just to get the beer on taps. Did you employ any salesmen or salespeople or anything like that? I didn't, it was all pretty much by myself. And so I found myself spread too thin and not really, not really being able to present my beer to the public the way I wanted to. And it, it became apparent that that just was not the way to do it. And frankly, there are so many great breweries out there now. When I started six years ago, there were something like 60 nano breweries in all of North America. Mexico, U.S., Canada. 60. There's got to be that many in Seattle now. So it's, it's become apparent to me that, that my dream, my vision of 
beer being a very local thing has very quickly become a reality. And so I decided, you know, that's, that's the world I wanted. Let's focus on that and capitalize on that. And that meant opening up a retail location. And now you're the one retailer, uh, the one beer retailer on Bastion Island. Like that's one correct. place with a tap room. So, because I've been around, I found a couple cider places. And then mm -hmm. I, when I found you, you weren't even on Google yet. So I was pretty lucky. Let's talk about some of the things that have changed when you switched from wholesale to mm -hmm. retail. Mm -hmm. So, what happened there? It took a, a couple of things to make it happen. I brought my son-in-law into the business a while back and it was really obvious early on that he had the attention to detail and he appreciated the art. He was really gifted at brewing and so I thought, okay, if I'm going to go this next step and not only do production but also handle the retail side, I need to have a little more help than just doing it all myself. Having him on board to manage the day-to-day -day operation of the brewery was, was huge for me. What's his name? Uh, by Nodi. By Nodi. Even in his home country of the Dominican Republic, it's a very unusual name. I think I met him then that day. He was that dashing looking fellow who, uh, who noticed that I didn't have a bike rack to park, park my bike at and assured me there'd be one there soon. Yes. So that yes. speaks to his attention to detail. Absolutely. Uh, um, the, other, the other piece of it was, you know, I needed a couple of business partners. I needed some help with uh, on the capital and, and also just by yourself, you, you know, you don't come up with the best ideas all by yourself in a vacuum. It really helps to collaborate with others. And so I wanted a couple of business partners that shared my love of craft beer, that really wanted to get into this. And I found a couple of great guys in Seattle. Um, um, also, I found them through my, my, my daughter and my brother-in-law. Um, and they've been great partners. They, they provided help, you know, great ideas and, and the capital that I needed to expand. It's turned out to be a very collaborative project and as a result, I'm incredibly proud of the location we've put together. It is a really nice spot. I, yeah, I got to sit there out in the sun for the whole day there mm -hmm. next to the bike rental place, which I gotta point that out because yep. biking is totally my gimmick. Well, and they have electric bikes and Vashon's very hilly. Oh, so, God. I mean, you can get around Vashon. We rented bikes for a day our family and just had a blast it's the way to go absolutely and, and we got to we got to travel long distances that we wouldn't have been able to travel otherwise what kind of pitfalls have you hit just things you've discovered you just stopped open so like basically I, when i was there i ordered a coffee and you know there were no coffee filters in the place right <laughs> uh, right what kind of what that's a relatively small hiccup what kind of stuff have you found that just walloped you you know, we, we, we tried to keep the opening quiet and do it really soft for that first week. We got swamped. And of course, we don't have any staff hired yet. We were kind of expecting a little bit slower start, but of course on Vashon, there are no secrets. Everybody knows everybody's business. And word got around and we've just been slammed. Keeping up with, with food, for example, has been a real challenge. Yeah, you kind of went uh, head first on that one. That's like a pretty, we really did. You dove right in. Yeah, that's crazy because a lot of retailers out in Seattle can very easily say we're just selling beer. Um, right. You know, they don't need to worry about trying to sell food. They can order food trucks. And the food piece that was more a result of the liquor board rules and regulations because the brewery is separate from the pub. We had to either do it as a tavern, which we didn't want to do. We already have two taverns. 
That is, we, with a full bar and all kinds, you know. Just exactly. Whatever. 21 and over only. So no kids, no, no families. Dogs. no. Yeah, exactly. So we wanted a place that was a little, little more open and, and, and accessible to folks, even with people with small kids. We had to go with a minimum service restaurant with a beer and wine license. And it turned out to be a great thing because we wound up being able to do some things that we think are really special and unique that we couldn't have done otherwise. Like what? So, so for example, you may have noticed that we had several taps that are not our beer. So we've got, we've got two ciders on, on draft. We've, we've got a, an island-made kombucha. We're able to feature all these great craft beverages that are produced on the island in addition to uh, some fantastic wine. If we were just a tasting room at a brewery, we couldn't do that. And then, of course, the, you know, the added benefit of the food. So 50 to 60% of the people who come to our place are ordering and eating food. Our place might not be so appealing to them if all they could do is drink beer. You are probably the only place I've ever been to that also serves kombucha. Tell me about that. A really good friend of mine was making kombucha as a hobby. And I had tried kombucha before. I didn't really understand what the fuss was about other than the fact that it's supposedly a very healthy beverage. But from a flavor standpoint, didn't really excite me. When I tried hers, I was blown away. It was so amazing. I mean, I've, I've had kombucha in Seattle. I've had it around the U.S. I've had it in New Zealand. Nowhere have I tasted kombucha that's anything like hers. What's your trick? She does a secondary fermentation with fruit purees and uh. herbs and spices. So that adds a whole new level of flavor that you don't get with just the straight up fermented. She does things like raspberry rose cardamom, strawberry ginger. You know, she goes to these amazing lengths. She'll like hand peel the organic ginger. She'll take strawberries that are grown on Vashon organically. So anyway, I had encouraged her to get a brewer's license. And in fact, she even uh, brews in my old brewing space oh. next to my house that I outgrew and, and moved into a bigger space. What is your favorite beer that you brew? And I know they're all your babies. They are my babies. Um, my favorites, plural. My Czech Pilsner, Checkmate Pilsner. I just love that beer. It's fabulous. I love, you know, the hops that I got from Slovenia, Steering Golding. Suits that style so well, and it's probably the only beer that I brew that is so true to style that I could put it into a competition if I wanted to. The other, I have my aromatherapy IPA. It's, I just love that beer. Love it. Um, again, it's it's just that one. It's not super super bitter, but the hop flavor and aroma just is just great. I love it. And then my uh, my solstice stout. Yeah, that one's an interesting one. Again, not true to style. I, I, I brew it with New Mexico chilies, not for the heat because it's not a it's not a spicy beer. But the um, the dried plum and cherry notes that come from that particular um, chili pepper, I think they just complement and enhance that style of beer. So those are my my top three. So I was a home brewer ever since it's been legal. Mm -hmm. Which well, that was the seventies. Yeah. And, and of course, back then, you know, the yeast wasn't very good. You, know, you didn't really have much in the way of good ingredients. But anyway, there's I, this I, mythical thing I've read about. It's a can of malt syrup, right? Like malt extract that right. I've never seen anything like that. Apparently, that was the way you bought it. You bought a can of malt extract, mm -hmm. and it came with a 
pack of the yeast taped to the top or something, right. you know, like that. And it wasn't much better than bread yeast. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, so I brewed for a long time, did the extract brewing, graduated to the all grain brewing. There was a nonprofit on the island that was doing uh, an online auction. And what they were doing was people would donate their goods and services. And then the proceeds would then benefit that local nonprofit. Well, mm. my, my wife worked for there and asked if I would donate some homebrew. Okay, sure. And I priced it ridiculously high and, and it sold out. And a lot of people came back to me and said, Cliff, I tried to buy your beer. I couldn't even get to it. It was sold out before I could even bid on it. And I got great feedback. People loved the beer. So that was about the time when I was getting really tired of my old career, getting really tired of the commute into Seattle five days a week. And of course, people were just starting to start up these nano breweries. I mean, it was still a very new phenomena. And I thought, you know, there might be a business opportunity here. And the kids had moved out. We were done with paying for college tuition, so we didn't need as much income anymore. I thought, you know, if I'm going to do this, this is the right time. The trends are moving in the right direction. I don't have to take a paycheck for a while. We can do this. And so I, I jumped in. Boy, what a learning curve. Oh my gosh. And of course, what I didn't realize is that when you start brewing at a larger scale, everything gets more complicated. The, the fermenters start generating heat that the little five gallon carboy didn't. You've got all kinds of pumps and hoses and nooks and crannies that can grow critters that you never had to deal with before. So sanitation was an issue. And then of course, then there's the more technical aspects that as a home brewer, I never really had to get into. So things like brewing water chemistry, it was a crash course learning how to brew at a commercial scale, even though it was still, you know, I started out on a one barrel system, you know, which is only a like only it's only a, a little times bit. bigger than a normal. Exactly. Pie. But it still presented lots of challenges. You mentioned uh, water chemistry. Mm -hmm. It's the question I love to ask brewers because you get a ton of different answers. So what do you do to treat your water, if anything? The answer is not a whole lot. Fortunately, I'm on a really good water system. The water is loaded with bicarbonate. So it's it's very basic. So I have to adjust for pH. It has virtually nothing other than bicarbonate. If you take the bicarbonate out, you've got RO water. So it's really easy to build it up. So every single recipe that I do, I do a water profile analysis. I filter out for the chlorine. And then I determine what, what ion profile I need for that particular beer. And then I figure out how many grams of, of sodium chloride and, and gypsum that I need to add to get that profile. That's one of the things a lot of people don't quite understand about beer, right? They just sort of, assume, they just know that it's water and you throw it in and you're good. Right. And if the water tastes good, it must be good to brew with. Yeah. Not so. Yeah, exactly. And I find a lot of brewers are really passionate about that and they'll say, oh yeah, if I do everything, they describe your process. They're always thankful for Seattle water. Um, I don't know if Vashon water, it must be different. Of course it's different, right? Yeah. Sometimes they say, whatever, I brew with this and I brew with it and that's what it is and I'm making Seattle beer so I use Seattle water and I don't mess with it. He, he's shaking his head right now. He does not yeah. like that. No. When I brew at home, I, I don't mess around with the water. I filter it, but that's kind of it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and you know, it's because I don't have the time to do anything more than that. Uh, but some, I'm sometimes surprised to see brewers sort of think the same thing. They're like, well, this will be fine. Mm -hmm. So, And I tell folks who are home brewers and I say, you know what, if you really want to brew a better beer, start with RO water at the grocery store. It doesn't cost that much and figure out, there's free spreadsheets that help you figure out 
the ion profile that you need. Add the salts, they're dirt cheap. You will improve the quality of your beer. It's the easiest way to do it. I like that when I asked you that question, you said, well, not a whole lot actually, but it sounds like you you go all in on making sure your water is the way that it needs to be. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, that beer that I donated, mm -hmm. it was a, what I called my Alderwood smoke porter. So what I would do is I would batch a beer, I might take, you know, 10 pounds of malt and throw it in the smoker, an electric smoker with the cherry wood chips and just kind of bake it in there and, and all that smoke for about an hour and that gives me a very subtle smoky character that's, um, if you think Rausch beer, no. It, it, it's, it's very subtle compared to a German smoked beer. Uh, but it's the style that I like and I think it's more appropriate for Seattle. So that's what I started out with and as it turns out that the water that I was using before I really got into the water chemistry was perfect for a dark beer. Which, you know, when, when you think of the great brewing cities in Europe, they all had their different brewing styles and it's not a coincidence, it's because their water could support that particular style of beer. So if I wanted to go beyond doing a porter or porters and stouts, I needed to change my water. I tried for a long time to brew an IPA and they were miserable failures. They were harsh and metallic tasting, they were awful. And it wasn't until I got into the water chemistry that I figured out how to brew a decent, a really good IPA. Couldn't do it otherwise. What's your favorite beer ever? Ever. You know, I've got, I've got a couple. Boneyard's RPM IPA is just an incredible beer. Just incredible. I love that beer. And I'm, I'm so sorry that I can't get it anymore. <laughs> um, the other one um, is Guinness, but only in the UK. What they sell here is not Guinness. I refuse to buy it, drink it, consume it in any fashion. In the UK, it's an amazing beverage. Google is a wonderful thing, you know, because anytime I had an issue, I could always go on, you know, Pro Brewer and check in with the other folks. Guaranteed if I had an issue, someone else was having the same issue. Every time there was something that I wasn't quite happy enough with, I'd do my research, find out the answers, and then implement it. So another thing, like the beer you're drinking there, it's nice and clear, mm -hmm. okay? I started out with unfiltered beer. I wasn't terribly happy with that, mm -hmm. so, um, so I went ahead and started filtering my beer. Visually, it's just much more appealing, and I mm -hmm. think the other flavors come through better. I was really happy with the results. Um, now, I use a fairly coarse filter. If you filter fine enough, you can start stripping out flavors and aromas. So I do a fairly coarse filtration. It's still enough to make the beer nice and presentable, but it doesn't strip out any flavors. And then there are some things that I have to add. So for example, I have a blonde ale, and I put in just a little bit of essential orange oil in it. But I do that in the bright tank, not before I filter because the filter tends to strip that out. Hmm. I'll tell you something else that, that I enjoy, and, and it gets back to kind of, you know, beer being local for a reason. So, and, and I bring this up just because it's, it's timely. So there's, um, down the street from our pub is a uh, kind of a, a common area, it's a little park that's used for the farmer's market. And in the back corner of that is a, uh, a black elder tree. This time of year, black elders put out blossoms, elderflowers. And if you've ever had an elderflower cordial, 
the flavor is unbelievable. It's indescribable. It's floral, but I mean, it's like nothing else you've ever had. Probably tomorrow morning, I'll be out there with a ladder picking those blossoms and creating a, uh, an elderflower syrup that I'm gonna use in a beer. Later on in the summertime, when the blackberries are out, I'll pick those and produce a, uh, a Saison with the blackberry juice. And it's, those are things that, that I think make local beer more special and, and unique, and it's something that you can't replicate in scale. Where do you get your materials? Like, where do you get your ingredients? You gotta get hops and you gotta get mm -hmm. grain and stuff and you live on an island. Right. So that means you probably import it from off the island. Or do they grow hops anywhere on Bashan? Hops, um, I, I, do, I, I do have a friend who grows hops, but to really keep them fresh and usable all year round, there's a lot of processing that has to happen. You know, you've got to dry them, you've got to at least vacuum seal them, and like what I use mostly is pellets, You've got to pelletize them, nitrogen pack them. It's a lot of work and hops require a huge amount of land because they weigh nothing. You know, a shopping bag full of hops that are dried, you know, you're talking three ounces of hops. And I use far more than that than in one batch of beer. So I get my hops primarily from Eastern Washington. Well, actually exclusively from Eastern Washington. Almost all of them are grown there. Some of them they import and sell. So for example, I've got a Czech Pilsner that I use a Slovenian hop for that just is fabulous and it's true to the Czech style and it's not something I can get in the so I import that. Mm -hmm. But by and large I'm using what's grown in eastern Washington. The grain is even more interesting. I went through a big change. I started out with Great Western Malt. It's a big, big malting outfit. They grow their malt in the Midwest, or their barley. I switched from them to RAR, which was another Midwest producer. They're out of Canada. And then I took the leap and moved to Skagit Malting. I was hoping up, you'd say up that. Up in Burlington. They have a cooperative arrangement with local farmers who grow uh, winter barley for them. And it winds up being a great thing because it's no longer irrigated at that point. Growing barley, irrigated barley is the biggest single source of water use in beer. Far more than just the, the water that's in your, your glass or bottle. Wow. From an environmental standpoint, it makes a whole lot of sense to take, to grow that crop, plant it in the fall, have it grow over the winter, and then have it mature in late spring. So they work with local farmers up there, and uh, for them, it's, it's a valuated cover crop. They get to protect their soils from erosion in the, during the winter rains, and they get cash out of it. I'm taking it one step further. I'm working with a farmer on the island who's going to grow malting barley for me this coming fall, the resulting crop will go up to Skagit Malting and they'll custom malt it for me. And he's just a mile down the road from me. So I'm really stoked about that. It's what we should be doing. Brew with the local ingredients. Now, yes, I love a wide variety of styles. I love a lot of European styles of beer. And so I'm gonna to continue to brew those. I would love to do cask ales, you know, like a special bitter on cask. I would love to do that. And, and I'll do it with, with a Northwest flair, with Northwest ingredients. And occasionally with, you know, the European hops because importing the hops isn't a big deal. They weigh so little. That's not a big deal. But if you're importing tons of barley, I don't know. I, I kind of draw the line there. If I can get a good local source of barley that tastes good, I'm going to stick with that. A lot of the stuff me and Cliff are about to talk about actually references some of the stuff from the previous episode of the podcast where I talked to Chris over at Lantern Brewery. 
the two of them actually share a lot of interesting opinions, especially things around competitions and whether or not those are worth entering and beer styles and whether or not those are something that you should actually conform to or if there's something to be fudged. Anyway, we make a couple of references back to the previous episode. And I don't think you can, I don't think it's realistic to expect that you're going to restrict people or make them go through some certification process before they rate a beer. So what, what I try to do in my brewery, in my pub, is that when somebody is interested in ordering something, I tell them about the beer. So that it's something that, that I know that they're going to like. So as an example, I have a Saison and it's a sour. And so when somebody orders that, I tell them what they're going to get. And I'll happily give them a little sample before they order a pint of it. Because I don't want them trying it and then saying, oh my God, this is the worst thing I've ever tasted because they don't like sours. You need to engage with your customer and educate them. And make the best of it because Untapped is a fabulous resource for the people who are out there looking for good beer. And it's a fantastic resource for people like me who want to promote my beer through it. You just have to deal with it. The other thing with the styles, I kind of agree with them too. It's like, it's kind of BS. And it's why that I don't go to competitions because very few of my beers are exactly true to style. You have to be, you have to be willing to pigeonhole yourself. My blonde isn't really a blonde. It's part way between a blonde and a cream ale. Am I gonna change it for competition? No. My porter is smoked to the extent, not to the extent of a Roush beer, so it doesn't fit into that category doesn't fit into a porter category because it's got a light smoke on it. Am I going to change it? No. I brew what I want to brew. The style for me is a starting point, but I don't live by it. And, and I accept the consequences of that. Well, how do you leverage that? There's breweries out there that have entered a ton of competitions. Mm -hmm. uh, Rubens Brewery comes to mind. They've right? got a wall of medals. Right. And I know the way you get a wall of medals is you enter a wall of competitions. Right. Um, and, and they also brew fabulous beer. But you can never you can't judge a brewery by how many medals it has because just for the most part it mm -hmm. means they enter more competitions. Mm -hmm. That's certainly a large variable. Mm -hmm. What you do is you don't enter any competitions, so you miss out on the opportunity to put medals on your wall. Mm -hmm. And what and I would I would say that at my scale, it doesn't really matter because I'm mm -hmm. not I'm not trying to get into lots of taps. I'm not trying to break into the grocery stores with cans. So what does it matter? If I've got a platform like Untapped where I can reach a lot of people, more people than I could ever, ever serve, what do I care? I'm not looking to get as big as Georgetown. As much as I like them and respect what they're doing, I'm not looking to go that route. I guess I'd have to say I, I don't really care. One of the things I was thinking about was perhaps figuring out some way to leverage non-competition entering beers, mm -hmm. right? You're one of now two breweries I've talked to that say they don't want to even think about that. Mm -hmm. There's That means there's gotta be a culture of people, of, of consumers out there, of drinkers out there who probably also think the same thing. Is there a way to maybe put that on your Facebook page and say, we don't enter competitions because they, they suck, right? Just to see what who responds to that and like who would think that's a cool idea. I don't know, there's gotta be, to me, like it's almost like now, if, if craft beer was the counterculture to, to uh -huh. big beer, there's got to be this counter, craft beer counterculture within that that kinda, right, right. You know, does what you're doing. It would be an interesting blog post yeah. just to kind of have that, <laughs> have that discussion and put yeah. that out there.
All right, I'm going to start asking about it. I'm going to investigate. Okay. See what I can do. <laughs> No Brewer interview would be complete without asking them about Anheuser-Busch. They're buying breweries left and right, mm -hmm. makes everyone comfortable. What are your thoughts on AB Bev, brewery takeover, the changing dynamics of the craft beer industry? What do you think? You know, they can do it. Um, it's not my vision of, of the world I want to live in. Mm -hmm. It should all be local and unique and fresh. In fact, I was just talking with a friend on the island who was writing an article about my pub. And one of the conversations we had was she was talking about all these craft beers that she sees in the grocery store in cans. And I said, guess again. I said, a few of them might be independent, but most of them are AB InBev brands, branded to look like they're local and edgy, but they're not. Uh, and so she was very surprised to hear that. And I said, you know, when in doubt, Google it and see who actually owns it, and you'll be surprised most times. I kind of like it when PBR owns stuff, because I feel like they don't really do anything dickish. They sort of, what, they've, what I've noticed PBR has done a few times is they've purchased a brand of beer from a brewery mm -hmm. that is defunct and mm -hmm. not brewing anymore, right. and they bring it right back, and they yeah. start brewing it, and they put it in cans, and even if it was never not brewed anywhere near similar way as it was originally mm -hmm. in a... They make it again, and like, oh, okay. yeah. way yeah. to go, PBR. Way to, way to milk that nostalgia. You deserve That's right. it. You deserve <laughs> it. Uh, but uh, That's other right. than what maybe Budweiser likes to do, which is take o take over taps at restaurants, right. And, right? You know, but but you know, to me that AB InBev thing, it's it's like I don't have time to worry about it. There's no money in wholesale brewing, at least not at my scale. So to me, if their business practices are unethical and they're crowding everybody out and taking over distribution. It's like, I don't care. It's not the market I want to be in. Having my place where people can come and, and sample the full range of what I brew, not just one or two, they happen to be on a guest tap once every six months at a place, that's what I want to do. I don't have to buy their products and I certainly don't have to put it on tap. And I won't. So this is the smoked porter. Narrate this beer. So <laughs> How can you do that? <laughs> it's it's really the the smoke is is really subtle. Um, I don't know if you've ever brewed with um, commercially smoked malt. It's it's really intense, especially the, uh, the German smoked malt and the peated malts. Really intense. Um, and to me, they just have a, a, a kind of a harsh edge to them. So I started experimenting around with. Originally, it was I used my barbecue grill with a tin can and and a pencil um, soldering iron to um, char the chips and give it a smoky flavor. I've since gone to an actual smoker, but the idea is still the same. It, the thing that I like about that beer the most is that it's really subtle. It's in the background. It's smooth, and to me, it's just the quintessential Northwest type of a style beer because it's not. You'll never mistake it for a Roush beer. Even though I'm sitting right here in the window getting blasted by the sun, it's like, eh, yeah. you know what actually kind of is a campfire beer, like a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah, like it. yeah. Yeah, um, it's, it's funny, my, um, my wife loves this, um, this tea from China, Lapsang Sukchang, and, and it smells and tastes like a campfire. Like you pull the ashes out of that fire pit, a nice resiny pine fire, you know, and that's what it tastes like. And that's not what I wanted with, with this beer. No. <laughs>
you guys want to check out Vashon Island Brewery, then pop on over to the island. It's a quick little ferry ride. Thanks again, Cliff, and I'll see you again soon. Have you heard of Gigantic Bicycle Fest yet? If you like art, camping, music, bikes, and beer, or really any combo of those things, all for charity, then this is for you. August 24th to 26th in Snoqualmie, Washington. Sign up on GiganticBicycleFest.org, and for half off your weekend pass, use promo code BEER. GiganticBicycleFest.org, promo code BEER. See you there. If you want to hear more episodes of Washington Beer Talk, then go to CyclingCistern.com. They're all up there. You can also find them wherever you get your podcasts, like Stitcher, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. Do you know a brewery that wants to be on Washington Beer Talk? Then go to cyclingcitron.com and contact me. We'll talk. If you're enjoying the podcast, then please leave a rating. Go back to Facebook and comment and like. The best way to support the Cycling Cicerone is to get on your bike and drink. Please bike and drink responsibly.